Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome everyone to Rock M Nation podcast. This is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts. A Missouri Tigers basketball podcast. We are on season six, episode two. Uh, all things Mizzou basketball. I am your host, Sam Snelling. With me, as always, from the lonely, barren plains of Indiana, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? I'm going to sidestep that comment, and I'm just going to say I'm grateful you dropped the top ten bit. <laughs> like, you can't even, uh, you can't even shame... You can't even location shame me here. You've just given up the bit, and I'm, I'm relieved. Our two month night is over. Matt, uh, if you were curious, and all of our listeners, I'm sure, are wondering, we are still an SB Nation College top ten podcast. I think last month we came at like seventh. Um, so we're yeah, still doing good. Still, uh, still getting the downloads. Appreciate the listeners. Um. We are in the the throes of late August. Uh, Missouri basketball news is is pretty light at this point. Uh, pretty much everything that we're going to be discussing moving ahead, I I believe, is is going to be focused on recruiting. Uh, before we kind of turn the page, Matt, and and we get into September, and then you know you start talking non conference schedule and you know conference opponents, and we start getting some guests, and then we're really like uh, not that long away from actually having college basketball sitting in our laps how excited are you uh, i'll be excited to to have actual games to watch yes um that's that's a wonderful answer on my part i uh yeah i, I 
I just kind of want to see what the actual product uh, that Dennis Gates is working on. So we'll. I'm sorry that wasn't very enthusiastic, but yeah, don't get don't get too excited here. So we're recording this on Monday, August 29th. Um, just so everybody knows. Uh, so really, uh, Mizzou football kicks off here on Thursday of this week. Uh, so Rockham Nation, the, the the flagship website, is just it's all Mizzou football all the time right now. Um, about the only thing you're really going to see, I think you know, Matt, you do have a, a Trent Pierce thing coming out. I'll be continuing to sort of do little you know quick previews of of some of the non-conference opponents. Um, but the rest of the stuff that's going on is, is basically we're trying to figure out uh, who is going to be on campus for, for recruiting visits, who is Mizzou uh, trying to get signed up for their 2023 recruiting class. Uh, we already know two guys that they have in Trent Pierce and Anthony Robinson. Uh, we know that East St. Louis and, uh, and Conzo Martin fanboy, Michaela Rich, uh, has uh, been back for an official visit uh, just last week uh, for Missouri. And so we feel like this is something that is a little newsworthy because uh, Dennis Gates and CY uh, saw them some Michaela Bridge and said that Consul Martin might know a thing or two uh, about this kid. If if they're, if they're he's on him, we're on him. And they offered him a scholarship, got him on campus. And it looks like it's down to who, Matthew? Uh, it looks like it's going to be a Mizzou K-State race. Although he's going to go to Ole Miss this week. Take them visits, kid. I mean, they're free trips. Use them. Don't ever, don't turn down a free trip. Don't do it. Didn't Ole Miss just take a kid? Ole Miss has taken three guys. Um, so the question is, like, how many slots would they have? But as we know in the transfer portal area, um, you can always make room if you need to. So if they are, <laughs> if McCaleb wants to commit and they are uh, wanting to add him to the roster, they can they can make that spot available uh, through various machinations. But it looks like, or it sounds like that it, that it's Mizzou and K State, um, so he's going to go to Ole Miss this week. Uh, then next week he goes to Manhattan uh, for an OV, and then I believe after that it's down to UIC and Eastern Michigan, and he's set to announce on September twenty sixth. So um, we'll see. You know if that that's right. They took Jordan Burke. Yeah, that's who I was thinking of. Yeah, they who consequently another Mizzou target, but kind of another guy at that three four hybrid position. Um, but like I said, if if you know Kermit and his staff want to sign McCaleb up, they can make room if they if that's something uh, McCaleb wants as well. So, but I think the intel we got was that it went well. The staff feels confident. Granted, I I don't think anyone has ever heard a staff say, "Man, that that bombed. Well, we screwed up. <laughs> that official visit was trash. Man, we we botched it. Crap. We we screwed up. But um." The rich recruitment is sort of interesting. I, I, I think, and you know, we've talked about on this pod, you know, previously, you know, rich has sort of had an interesting trajectory. Um, definitely has some high major athleticism, especially off of two feet. And if he can get a little bit of momentum into elevation, he can get off the floor and has some bounce. But the question was always, you know, where was the skill set? You know, there. You know, he's not kind of, he's not an easy positional fit at the three or the four, um, you know, a lot of his sort of offensive productivity, you know, comes from you know, cutting, from getting on the glass, from lobs, from, you know, making, you know, plays in transition. There's not really a defined skill set for him in the half court where the ball's in his hands. Um, but I've chewed through the film that I, from July, I think of him with uh, Southwest Illinois Jets as a AAU team. 
and you can see that he's he's tightened up the handle a little bit um can you know kind of telegraphs things he's got some you know moves that he's you know leans on heavily off the bounce and certain touches and spots that he really prefers to work in but you can begin to see him sort of operate more on the perimeter and sort of play in those spots and i think the bigger deal for me was defensively he's used as a four at uh east st louis but you saw him play more on the wing and kind of stretches wings out there a little bit defensively so um you know clearly an upside play probably a four-year guy but you can begin to see kind of a little bit more definition coming into his game and you know he the kid just plays his ass off so he's going to fit culturally there but you know I, I think rich is sort of a good you know case for why you always you know, keep tracking kids. You always keep, you know, watching film and looking at them and checking in because, you know, maybe in March we would have said, eh, he's he's a straight mid-major kid. And now you can see, you know, the contours of why maybe a certain high majors would want to take a, a flyer on him and would want to bring him in. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, whether or not he gets to some of those mid-major stops. But Mizzou seems to be in good position here. You know, Matthew, on his uh, his Twitter bio, he does list himself as a guard. I think he's a wing at the next level. <laughs> I, I think the one thing, you know, we talked a little bit about it with Trent Pierce last time is I think where his strength and athleticism shows up is if he gets caught in switch situations. If you're a switch-heavy team and, you know, teams run floppier, they run pin downs, and he gets switched onto a four or a five, the kid's going to be strong enough to hold up ground there and – you know, fight for short durations and in, in certain situations against bigger dudes. Is he a guy you want guarding the four or five, you know, for long stretches? Probably not. But I, I think the strength is there, you know, to handle some switch situations, which which is a boon to have. So the question that I, the thing that I really liked was I watched him, you know, really do a nice job sort of in different ball screen situations, whether he was having to guard the screen as kind of the hedge guy or in drop, or having to try and get over the top of screens. So I think that was sort of heartening to see. Uh, he's strong enough on the ball that I think, you know, he's going to be able to bump guys off, especially on the AAU circuit that, that you know, the Jets played on. I think he was able to, you know, out-tough and out-strength a lot of guards. But, you know, we'll be interested to see whether or not he's got the agility or kind of the quickness, you know, to, to stay in front of some guys. But I definitely think if you were to look at the long-term projection he he's more of a three than a four yeah i would sort of refer to him like almost like a jumbo wing um i think on the last podcast i sort of made the come uh or the comment that i think he uh, reminds me a lot of like a guy like raekwon gray uh who played for florida state a few years ago um not like the the biggest guy but a guy that probably played a lot of the three and the four for them um and by not the biggest i mean not the tallest uh i think we're just so used to florida state running out all these big long tall athletes uh he was a stockier dude um but a dude that just sort of knew what he was good at and could kind of get to his spots uh and and be effective in those spots and i i think he reminds me a little bit of that uh maybe like a less skilled version of like you know kobe brown as far as like his size with maybe a little more athleticism uh, you know, and, and Kobe, I think kind of found a, a home in the, in that sort of, you know, hybrid wing role. Uh, and I think that, that like, if you're projecting sort of where, you know, Caleb is going to help, 
Uh, you know, I think that's it. I, I'll, another guy that he also kind of reminds me a little bit is uh, from uh, actually at Ole Miss was Luis Rodriguez. Yeah. Um, it was just, I mean, Rodriguez was a guy who they had a hard time keeping off the floor. Uh, he just, he played hard. Uh, he defended hard. He defended well. Rebounded uh, his position Kermit, well. That, that, yeah. And, and for Kermit, you know, uh, defense is, has been a, a thing that's kind of been hit and miss with some of his teams recently. So you had to keep him on the floor. Uh, and he ran the floor hard. He got putbacks. He did all like the kind of little things um, that Ole Miss kind of needed, uh, which makes total sense as to why, uh, you know, they ran him off and, and got him into the portal. Um, but but I think like if you sort of take those three dudes like Raekwon Gray, Kobe Brown, and Luis Rodriguez, and you sort of, you know, mix them all together, then you get some sort of uh, amalgamation of like what, Michaela Rich might be at the college level. And there's room for guys like that in a nine or 10 man rotation. Th- th- those guys have a purpose. They have a role. And the one thing I will say about him is I think with Kobe, there was kind of the desire, I think to be a, a jumbo point. There's not that sort of like deep seated desire in Michaela Rich. I think the one thing that, yeah, that's a good point. Too. I think rich knows who he is as a player. I think he, and you watch him, you know, with East St. Louis, he does his job. You know, he's he's a foreman for them. You know, plays, you know, in spots where you'd expect to see kind of a hybrid forward play. You know, in, is engaged defensively. You know, I, I think the one thing is he's not a guy, you know, who at least when you watch him play the game, isn't trying to project himself into a different role. He does what he is good at doing. And, you know, the one thing I, I, I do like is, when you see the handle that he's trying to tighten up and add, it's in spots that clearly work for him and where he's comfortable. You know, is it telegraphed a little bit? Yeah, but I think, you know, he doesn't try and force, you know, his ability to play off the bounce in situations where it's not warranted. He'll move the ball if he doesn't get the, the situation that he wants. You know, he's, I think there's a, a clear IQ there as to, you know, when he can pick and choose what he wants to do and try and show off some expanded you know, parts of his game, but he's not forcing it. So I think that that's the one thing that that makes me like Rich a little bit more. I think when I watched Kobe's tape, it was very clearly like Kobe would get in a situation where he's like, now is where I show off that I can handle, or now is where I show that I can shoot off a one dribble pickup in a ball screen. Like when Michaela Rich attacks, it's when the ball reverses to him. He's got one on the weak side of the floor. He's got a smaller guard on him, and he can just bully drive his way to the rim. And if he doesn't get by the guy, he'll just crab dribble and back the guy into the post and get to a floater. Like, that's it. Other than that, he's going to move the ball and he's going to keep doing what he does. So I think that that's the thing that I kind of liked is he doesn't get outside of himself as a player. And, you know, I think if he gets on campus and, you know, buys in, which, you know, it seems like he's willing to do, you know, any sort of team he's with, then I think he can find a useful role within the rotation, assuming that, you know, he winds up in Columbia. So moving on from Rich, uh, since you know, I believe we we talked quite a bit about him yeah. on the last pod. Um, the other sort of twenty twenty three targets that uh, I think you and I both feel like we can sort of maybe push a little bit to the side as far as whether or not they're uh, a you know a real priority. Um, yeah, I think one is. Uh, Jazz Gardner, um, who I, I actually didn't know that Jelani Gardner was Jazz's dad. Um, I found that out the other day while I was like, look, 
I think I followed Jazz and I think he retweeted or liked something and it shows up in your Twitter feed and it was like, I, I, I remember Jelani Gardner. He was a, a player at UCLA uh, year, years back. Um, but yeah, so that's his kid. Um, but it looks like um, Missouri might be a graphic filler. Yeah. Um, he's only taken two officials. Or he's only taken one official, and that's to Dayton. And then he has one where he's lined up to Texas Tech. Um, we talked about in the last spot. He's got kind of a weird finalist group there, but you just don't see Missouri, you know, mentioned quite a bit there. I mean, he's except sporadically. Um, and then the other prospect is Justin McBride, who had a really, 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 really good July. Um, the last staff was all over him. I took an unofficial visit last June, I think, late last June, and then I thought he was on campus for an for an official visit for, uh. The now infamous Paul Quinn game, where his AAU coach uh, coached the the other Tigers that were here uh, out of the Dallas area. Um, it you know, hey, uh, uh, PQC taking on SLU this year. Go crazy, Bilkins fans. Go crazy, crazy. Um, <laughs> it, so McBride had a good juke. A good June and July, or a good May and July, I should say. They they weren't uh, on the circuit in June. But just, again, feels like graphic filler there. It feels like, you know, Rich and him are kind of in the same positional slot, and they've got Rich on campus. Um, Rich is a guy, I think, you know, who every indication is that maybe, you know, he wants to commit to Mizzou, but there may be a question as to whether he's a take. You know, that, you know, that's always sort of fluid and sort of murky, but, those are just two names that I think, you know, at this point you look at the board and you look at who's getting in and who's, you know, lining up visits, at, especially if, you know, guys have their timelines to get committed by the end of October. It seems like Rich has already been here and McBride and Gardner haven't booked dates, so they're all booked up for ones that would make sense in September. So um, looks like they uh, just included Missouri to round out the graphic. But um, the two names that I, I think most people are going to care a lot about are Chris Parker and Jordan Butler. Um, and we're waiting to see uh, when uh, Mizzou or if Mizzou winds up on their itinerary. Yeah, I thought we uh, we expected, you know, based on um, based on intel that there would be a little bit more movement for Parker uh, by the end of August. Uh, as we are at the end of August, I, it doesn't look like that's happening. It looks like his timeline is uh, is expanding a bit. And Butler's a guy who. Uh, it seems like that, you know, him and his family were always willing to sort of take their time with this process. And I think that's one of the things that I, I find very healthy. Like, you know, there's no reason to rush decisions. And I, you know, I think there's certain situations where when you just have the right feeling and, and you, you know, like, yeah, go ahead and do it. Um, you know, but for, for most kids, what you want to do is you want to get as much information as possible. Um, you know, present that information, you know, as a family, what's going to work best for us, what's going to work best for our kid. Uh, And it seems like the Butlers are definitely sort of taking that path. Yeah. Uh, The one thing that was conveyed to me was that if Missouri gets him here, it it becomes a neck and neck race with with South Carolina, probably. He had a great visit there. Um, Lamont Paris has made him probably the biggest priority aside from Gigi Jackson. So, you know, I almost sort of think of it as, this is what would have happened had you know, Jonte Porter 
you know, been, you know, not reclassified, but would have been a traditional cycle, I think you would have definitely seen Alconzo Martin sell out to make that guy, you know, the, the clear priority there and really orient everything towards that sort of level of effort. Um, Butler fills a real, real pressing positional need. I think they could use some size up front, but, you know, we'll see if, you know, when a date sort of materializes. He was supposed to see FSU last weekend, but apparently FSU had to like resurface their, you know, practice gym. And so he couldn't watch a practice. So they decided, hey, if we can't do that, we're going to rebook it. So when that gets rescheduled, we don't know. Um, and when, you know, Missouri winds up on the books, we don't know. Parker, um, it's been conveyed that, you know, he's working towards finding a date, but hasn't quite landed on one yet. But, you know, he's already locked in two other visits. He's going to go to UCF, I think, on September 17th, on September 24th. I'm sorry about that. And he's going to go to Alabama on September 17th. So if you're looking for home dates, uh, you know, for football games, which is usually when these things get aligned, um, this weekend is, is the only other option on the calendar. And there's no, at least since right now that there's going to be a sneak visit for him to get in. So we'll, we'll see when, uh, you know, Parker tries to get something lined up, but those are the two that I think we've been waiting on to see, you know, when or if they're going to get into town mostly because I think Parker was the one that had the most smoke around his name and, and things have not cooled there, but I would say that like, like you said earlier, the pace has definitely eased up a little bit. Yeah. And uh, we were kind of chatting a little bit before we came on uh, the podcast, you know, as far as like what we sort of thought this class uh, could be. And I mean, whether it's like, I think minimum of three, uh, do do you think they get to five? In this day and age, you can make the math work however you want it to work. Uh, to me, if you could land Parker, Butler, and Rich, and you f- feel like those are all guys that are going to come in and be absolute system fits, that they're going to be able to come in, you know, and they're going to be part of a roster at that point that would have, you know, six underclassmen. On it, you know, you'd have five freshmen and then Aiden Shaw. You know, do you feel like you could skew a roster to where you maybe you're going to have four or five young guys in your rotational mix just based out of sheer numbers? And you know, guys that are in the top 150 don't come to sit. You know, is that a direction you want to go next year and, and really lean into youth? Um, I think they could make the numbers work to get to two or three openings in spring where you could bring in some veterans. But, you know, I, I look up and down the roster and I, th- and I do see some merits to going to five because Anthony Robinson, the second's point guard, Chris Parker probably profiles as a combo guard. Trent Pierce is a big wing. Caleb Rich is probably a wing, but could play the four. Pierce could be a hybrid guy. And then you get a big, plus you have Aiden Shaw there. You've essentially locked in young talent at every position on the roster. And then, you know, if you bring back a Noah Carter and a Nick Honor next year, those are two old heads that, you know, you can feel like you can trust. If Ryan DeGray's back, that's a guy that, that's got some college experience. Then you're really working the portal to find some higher-end guys that maybe can come in and, and eat some of, you know, 
the heavier minutes, you know, 26, 28 minutes a game at certain spots. And now you've got a roster that sort of balances out. I think there's merits in looking at five, but, you know, four seems like, you know, the Goldilocks number at this point, you know, where you take four and then you look around this spring if if you feel like, you know, you, you want to bring in some more experience. Plus, four guys in this class, you know, gives you a little bit more roster balance. But I think there are merits, uh, you know, if if all five want to sign up and you feel like you, if the stated goal is to get this roster and the level of talent overhauled as quickly as possible, I think, you know, you take the consequence of being a little bit young next year. So just to sort of reset a little bit, um, on the current roster, there's there's one scholarship available. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people believe that uh, Mabor Majak is going to be the guy who probably picks that up at least for the year. Um, but we believe that that's one of those like flexible scholarships that if it's if Dennis Gates needs it next year, he'll probably use it. Um, DeAndre Golston, Trey Gomillion, uh, Demoy Hodge. Those three guys are gone. They have, after this year, no additional eligibility left. If they wanted to come back, they could not. Um, I mean, I, I think maybe you would put it, uh, an exception on if somebody suffers a season-ending injury or something like that. Uh, hopefully that is not the case, and they all play the, the entire season. And then they're moving on to uh, whatever professional careers. Uh, then you get into um, guys who are seniors this year, which would be Kobe Brown, uh, Nick Honor, and Isaiah Mosley. Um, those guys technically have expiring eligibility, but since they played in a season, uh, in that COVID season a couple of years ago, uh, that year did not count. So they could come back if they wanted. Uh, however, if nobody comes back, um, none of the seniors. So well, that's that's where we're going to start. Uh, there are currently five spots available. If you take Chris Parker and Michaela Bridge, um, and uh, uh, and Butler, then that takes you down to what two? Am I doing that right? Right now, I've got you know three spots that are. You know, if they land Michaela Rich, all three spots for graduating guys are gone. That means you've officially filled all the slots that would be created by Hodge, Golson, and Gamillion leaving. The, you'd be perfectly aligned there. Assuming you have one more open it, that Majak is going to basically seed next year, that gets you to four, which could be theoretically Butler or Parker. You know, if if you wanted to go there. The question that comes into play is, do you think Kobe Brown, Isaiah Mosley, or Sean East come back next year? The indication, at least when I talked to Anthony Robinson, was that the staff was selling him on coming in and learning behind Nick Honor, which would imply, obviously, that Honor would be back next year. And Noah Carter has said in multiple places and even said to me, you know, I'm looking forward to my two years in Columbia. So realistically, you're looking at three guys outgoing one spot that's sort of a flex spot. And then, you know, the question is, do you expect, you know, Brown, Mosley, and East to go and not, you know, use their further eligibility? So that means you're at four right now with up to seven. And then do you believe 
there are going to be any other defections that happen. So I would expect that you're going to probably go north of four because I maybe Isaiah Mosley has a freak accident happen. Maybe he decides he needs to come back. But I imagine Isaiah Mosley is probably going to go try and earn a professional paycheck. So that's an easy way to get to five spots is Mosley goes, you have five slots to fill, and you can make it work. And then the real question is, do you expect Kobe Brown and Sean East to go? And do you, are you well? Sean East is listed as a, as a as junior. a junior. Mm-hmm. So he, yeah, and so one like well, that's one thing to kind of keep in mind is is the online roster uh, is representative of like what the university classifies them. So if he's listed as a junior, um, which might make sense why he went to junior college, uh, then he still has a junior and a senior year um, to play, and and so. Like he's listed the same as uh, Noah Carter, who's also listed as junior. Um, so at this point, like I think if you're you're basically looking at the three guys that are gone, the next uh, three guys, what their decisions going to make, and at this point, we feel like Nick Honor is coming back, and that's that's based upon your conversations with with Robinson. Yeah. So, you know, the question I think would be, what's Kobe Brown going to do? Um, the question would be, you know, what is Isaiah Mosley going to do? We both feel like Mosley's probably out the door. Like he was going to do one more year, uh, college, make his money in, in Como play in front of the home crowd. And then, and then go get the, the professional paychecks. um, do think there's probably a you know a, a fair question if Caleb Brown is going to stick around if his brother's not there but in all reality here i mean like you know Kobe could decide to come back and play and so like that's what that's one of the reasons why i think i'm a little hesitant to see uh if they would go to 5 um to me like 4 just feels and again like with with the portal you always have flexibility but i just feel like with four you you do have the right flexibility that you need and again like if they know like you know maybe they probably had a conversation with kobe and kobe said yeah i'm 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 gone after this year like i'm graduating uh i want to go play professionally and maybe they know that you know caleb has said my brother's not here i'm not going to be here like we committed to, <laughs> to you know to Conzo. I want to play with my brother. If he's gone, I'm gone. You know, it's possible like all these conversations have, have happened uh, and they, they kind of know what they need. And if I think if you see them going to five, then chances are that they, they know uh, exactly who they have coming back next year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to me, that, you know, again, I think there's merits to five. You know, this is about, you know, getting as much talent in the door as you possibly can. And if you believe you're going to play nine to 10 guys, you're going to have minutes for dudes. So we'll see what they decide. But four seems like the projection we're working off of right now. Um, The one thing if they took four this year is they would have a big class potentially in line for next year. I think right now, if if you just follow the, assuming no defections and everyone just follows their eligibility, you're at five slots in 2024. And that leads us into kind of the quick recapper here on what's really shaping up as a, 
you know, productive from September 16, 17 weekend and productive first weekend of October because Sam, they've, they've, uh, the caliber of visitors <laughs> that are set to come in. I, I'm, I can't remember when they've had, when the program's had this kind of, you know, level of talent come in, you know, a, a year ahead of time here. But, well, Matt, let's talk about that, a, uh, that one beautiful fall afternoon. Um, when Tim oh, Fuller yes, when Tim. and Kim Anderson brought in I for- virtually every top prospect that they could. <laughs> Free trips, uh, man. I, Take them, kids. I, I wrote about that because like, we were like, we had really good information on everybody that was coming in, and it was an extensive list. Uh, like, I didn't want to say like Miles Bridges was on that. Yeah. Um, and uh thomas bryant yeah and uh so those guys were class of what 15 or 16 i think so uh and then they uh, michael porter jr was there uh i want to say jason tatum was there um because porter was 19 yeah and is that right tatum was 18. A year ahead of him, um, man, all this stuff is like blurring together. But it was like I may uh, may have to find that article and and, and pull up and tweet it out because it was it was an impressive list. Uh, of course, they had just hired Rob Fulford, and and Fulford brought pretty much <laughs> Huntington prep every t- every top dude that was at Huntington uh, on campus for a visit. Uh, of which they didn't get very many of those guys, Matt. Um, so yeah, so it's it's been a while since we've had like a a really sort of big sweeping, um, you know, like not in just like one weekend, but like a couple weekends of like just bringing in younger, younger top prospects. You know, Martin may have done it, but he was always way more under the radar. Get the guys in in the off season, you know, really try to make the impression early and and that kind of stuff. And it doesn't appear like you know Gates and Cy are much. Uh, are, are worried about uh you know the kinds of things that you know maybe maybe Zova's worried about uh they're they're going after it man yeah the September 17 weekend is going to have uh a guy who I I'm sort of happy to see they're still in the mix for uh John Bull a uh 7 foot big a consensus top 20 kid or a, should be a consensus top 20 kid at least based on the composite uh had earlier in the clubhouse is Evansville, uh, yeah or nay? You think? Uh, <laughs> man, if Marcus could get into the valley, it would be a, it would be a, it'd be a massive win for, for those guys. They've had a rough go of it recently with uh, Walter and Todd Licklider. Um, his go- yeah, so f- for, former SLU uh, assistant coach in Evansville, um, Marcus Wilson Wilson, um, played at Evansville. Uh, the new uh, coaching staff turnover was hired as an assistant coach, uh, and he is uh, John, or at least was, I'm assuming still, still is, is, John Bull's guardian. Yep. Uh, and and Bull went from um, playing at CBC to to Sunrise Academy. Yep, yep. And ran with Mocan the summer. Had a really really good summer with Mocan. Um, that same weekend they are bringing in Marcus Allen, the number forty one player in the. Uh, Two four seven composite. Allen's out of South Florida. Runs with Florida Rebels. Um, a guy that CY has been recruiting for quite a while. There, you know, if you tuned in to watch any live streams, you would see CY posted up in close proximity to the Florida Rebel games. Uh, 
he's actually out at Compass Prep, which is a really, really good um, sort of independent prep school in the Phoenix area in Arizona. With some Mizzou connections out there. There is. There is. Uh, specifically Trent Pierce, uh, who is also <laughs> on the Compass Prep roster. So that's handy. <laughs> yeah. Re- recruit, Trent. Recruit. <laughs> so Alan's going to come in that same weekend as John Bull. Then October 1st, um, you get two more really good bigs. You get James Brown. Uh, who's out of the Chicago area, runs with Mean Streets, plays for St. Rita. He's the number 30 prospect in the composite. And then you also get Dallas Thomas, who we talked about last time, who's a really, really interesting, just sort of potential recruiting battle uh, with Muss and Arkansas. He's the number 39 prospect in the composite. Um, a really, really lean kid, a, another hybrid kind of 4-5 kid out of Parkview in Little Rock, Arkansas, and runs with Brad Beal Elite. He'll be uh, on campus October 1st with James Brown. And then there's Jordan McCollum, who's kind of another long, rangy 3-4 guy out of uh, the Nashville area, I believe, that runs with BBE as well. So he's not a top 50 kid right now, but I could imagine him probably working his way into the top 150 of the composite once it expands later on this year. But that's, aside from just the, the glittering rankings for four of those guys, all of them, Sam, are 4-5. Four or fives on the positional chart. So I wonder what's a priority for the staff in 2024. Um, right now, Eggs. right now, if you look at again just the projection earlier, they're looking at needing a hybrid four and maybe two bigs in that class. The front court right now is looking like an area of uh, high need in that class, and uh, boy, the staff is uh, not being modest in its sights here. So that we can see early on the priority area of the rotation and just the caliber of kids they're looking to bring in. And this, this seems like the bailiwick for Gates and for CY Florida state was known for developing big rangy athletic bigs. And uh, that's what they've got here. Some of them different body types, different sizes, but all of them are athletic. They have good agility. They're comfortable in space. Um, Some are more developed offensively than others, but, the one thing is you could put any of those guys in, in the front court and they're going to be able to guard and they're going to be able to switch and they're going to be able to move and they're going to be comfortable, you know, you know, having to sort of navigate around the floor. This is kind of the class I think where, you know, you start to see, you know, the, I think the caliber of competition, sort of the caliber of talent go up a little bit. The 23 class, I think it has a lot of good, solid four-year guys in it that you know could be really that could grow into really 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 productive juniors and seniors this is one where i think you're starting to see maybe some guys that can you know walk on campus and make more of an instant impact early on so these guys can take five visits as juniors and they can take five more seniors next year but you know i don't expect any of these guys to commit now but CY and Dennis made their bones by getting in early with guys, being the first one there before Blue Bloods really established relationships with kids. And if nothing else, it seems like that's what they're doing right now. So it's it's a heartening sign if you believe that, you know, Gates and you know, CY are trying to duplicate what they did in Tallahassee. Yeah, so I would say uh, you know, so anyone who is a class of twenty 20- 24 kid you're basically projecting that they would be freshmen on a roster with anybody who is currently a sophomore or freshman which if you've looked 
at Missouri's roster. There aren't many of those around. Uh, <laughs> it's Caleb Brown and Aiden Shaw. Uh, so yeah, there's there's two guys, Caleb, who again we you know we just don't know what his plans are if his brother is not around. And if Aiden develops uh, really then, well, yeah. he may. It, it yeah, it's entirely possible that you know that Aiden um sort of hits the right notes in his development and is able to to make the professional leap here in a couple of years. Uh, and then you sort of look okay, now you've got Anthony Robinson and Trent Pierce uh on board. Uh, I think I talked uh at length the last podcast about how I feel about Trent. I I really really like this kid. Um, Anthony Robinson looks like a, a very high upside play, you know, at, at sort of the point guard slot. Um, but that's not a whole lot of guys. Um, so yeah, I, I think what you're you're definitely hoping for is uh, is to build the foundation that you need um, getting in early on on the bigs, uh, and then you sort of see who the guards are that that develop and um, you know because it's there aren't a lot of uh, athletic tall. Uh, dudes out there, Matt. Um, John Bulls is fun to watch, man. <laughs> like, yeah, like, like he's that. There, there aren't like twenty five of those guys out there. There's, the, you know, there's a handful um, that are, you know, that sort of project as as effective high major bigs, um, you know. And so I, I think that's why you sort of, you know, put a a, a hard focus on on that position early. Because, uh, you know, guards are one, one of those things like, you know, guys who develop uh, and look, you know, great as freshman and sophomore. Maybe they just sort of hit a lull and you, you then you get the kid who is five foot six as a freshman uh, and he's he sprouts into like a six three or six four, uh, you know, point guard by the time he's a um, by the time he's, you know, a, a junior or senior. And, and now you're you, you've got the kind of kid that you can project. Um, I think a you know good example is uh, uh who's the the three star kid that Kentucky took um his I think his dad played for Kentucky um Reed, Zero uh Reed Shepard is who they took no 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 um he's on this year's roster uh I was oh C J Frederick no 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 he's a he's he's gonna be a freshman um I feel like this is gonna drive me crazy. Uh, I do have Kentucky SEC Kentucky 2022. His name is this is great podcast radio right here. Uh, Adu Thero. Oh, he was a late recommit guy. Yeah, so he uh, he ended up 165 in the composite. Um, but I was just sort of reading a thing on him uh, as I was putting together the Kentucky preview, um, and he was like he was five nine as a freshman. We saw it with driving Brazil. Brazil was a kid who was six two six three, and then just had a massive growth spurt, and you know went from unranked to a guy now that some people are thinking could potentially be a back end of the lottery guy. So we see it with guys. I don't, I don't know who is this you're referring to. He who shall not be named that's now in Fayetteville. <laughs> um, so, point being, they the 24 classes where you start to get those kinds of guys who, when you walk into like the Nike Elite 100, you go, oh, yeah, that's a pro. <laughs> you just, 
you look at the kid and go, oh yeah, that guy's gonna be paid money to pay this sport, to play this sport. It's, you know, professionally with a contract, not NIL money now. So that's, that's the kind of caliber they're looking at. Like if you will, like I've seen Dallas live, that kid looked like he could be with well, a weight program could have, you know, been coming off the bench last year. John Bull, one of the most enjoyable guys to watch play live rail thin, but you get him any sort of, you know, good base weight on him. That kid just plays his ass off. He's everywhere. He's got the kind of length timing sense of spatial awareness that you just can't teach James Brown physically developed, but just really good feel. Marcus Allen physically developed. Looks like he could be 17, 18, 19 years old. Like just looks like a full grown man. These are guys that you just look at on the hoof. You're like, yeah, these are, these are elite level dudes. So different kind of caliber there. You're, you're not waiting. Those guys are, you get them on campus, you get them into the weight program and you expect some immediate returns from having them there. But, um, Sam, there's a, we do have actual basketball to talk about this time. I don't know how much we're going to talk about it, but we have a non-conference schedule. We know <laughs> we have dates. We don't have times, but we have dates and we have Ooh. opponents. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I already uh, previewed the opening um, two games. Uh, so like for, I think la- the last few years I've, I've done... Uh, a, a post for each team individually, and then, then I looked at like the first—I I can't remember off the top of my head—seven games, eight games, seven games. Uh, and I'm like, I, I think for the first of those games, I'm just gonna do two teams each because it's not—it's not very interesting. Um, although I, you know, I will say, uh, Southern Indiana, um. If if you're making the transition to Division One basketball, this is the kind of team that you would want to transition with. They were they were pretty good last year. Super old. They bring back everybody. Um, Penn uh, is game number two, and kind of a similar thing. They have a lot of uh, guys that are coming back, including um, you know a class going to be a junior that was a really good class for them. Uh, I I don't think they're like a you know. I don't think they're going to compete for the top of the Ivy. Uh, but, they, you know, they, they could. That looks like a game where if, if Missouri doesn't, you know, quite have their stuff together. They can get college um, of Charleston. Well, I was going to say more like it's it's an uncomfortable game. <laughs> like, like they're, they're good enough that, that they could make it uncomfortable. You know, they're well coached. Uh, you know, John Donahue, I think Steve Donahue, uh, John Donahue, Steve Donahue. Um, you know, he, he, he got a high major job. He, he got a high major job by being a really good coach mid major. So like all these guys, this level, even if they don't succeed and like Boston college has turned into a really hard job. So I don't, I don't necessarily blame guys who fail there. Um, he's a good coach. And, uh, I, I fully expect that game to be probably, um, more uncomfortable than maybe we we want, uh, but I, it's still a game that I think Missouri probably wins by about you know ten or thirteen points. Yeah, the I when I wrote about the schedule, I think a lot of people were like, "Well, duh, they they scheduled easy." But I I think you take any bit of data point, any data point you can to really sort of calibrate what to expect from a staff. And I was sort of interested in you know 
how Gates would approach scheduling in year one. This is a roster that, you know, if you look at Torvik's projections, which are always sort of wonky and weird, at least at the player level, but if you look at, you know, where they're projected overall, they're at 48th in Torvik. You know, they're eighth or ninth in the SEC. That's bubble territory. You know, Joel Lenardi has them as one of the first four out. This is a team where if, say, the forecasts are correct, your SOS matters. It, it matters, you know, come March. And you know, people look at SOS separate from the resume, which is really the wrong thing to do. It's like an ingredient in a recipe. You know, it, you know, it kind of tells you the caliber ingredient you have and, you know, who you play matters. And this is a staff, you know, it's got five potential Q1, Q2 games. They're all just backloaded in non-con. And, you know, I think we're more accustomed to Zoe being especially assertive. Zoe was usually one of the top 20 high major non-con schedules in terms of SOS. You know, the Zoe, you know, it wasn't always home games, which annoyed people, but Zoe played people. And, you know, Ken in year one, had a really, really aggressive SOS. So coaches here over the last decade have, you know, been assertive a little bit in terms of who they put on the schedule. And this is definitely not that. Um, if you just look at Torvik projections, you know, we're looking at seven or eight quad three and four games to start the year. You know, this team should be seven and oh, eight and oh, potentially nine and oh, depending on what happens at Wichita State, you know, going into border war in Columbia. You know, I don't know how you know, how hardy that 9-0 is going to be, but there's a possibility for this thing to look pretty good. But normally we would see maybe teams between like 100 and 150, some solid mid-major teams sprinkled in that late November stretch, and there's just not here. It's, you know, basically Mississippi Valley State and Coastal Carolina and Houston Baptist are usually dates when we would see somebody like Wofford or Stephen F. Austin or Northern Kentucky, maybe an AAC team in there. Now it's teams are basically two fifty or lower. So I think that it really like it really is a situation where they they picked up that UCF game and outside of that, like Illinois is a contract game. Kansas is a contract game. Iowa State's a contract Utah game. State is a contract game. Like yeah, Iowa State is a game that your conference is in contract with to play. And then everything else that's on this schedule is filler. The filler games, I wrote this, the filler games, if you look at the... They're dubs. If you look at the filler (laughs) games here, the average efficiency rating for those filler games would be equivalent to the number 311 team in Kimpom. They absolutely booked dubs. And if... Not to say that, like, this team... this. Stat. They'd love to make the NCAA tournament. You know, Dennis Gates has said in different places, you know, our focus is being there in March. To me, it seems like what they said early on was, we got to get our guys on the same page. We need some reps where our guys, you know, figure out playing together against, you know, in live fire, we figure out our rotation. And if we hit a, if we have to make a massive jump in early December, we're fine with that. We are absolutely fine with that. And, you know, the question really is, is UCF a game that, you know, stays quad two or does it grow into a quad one one? Does, you know, Wichita State exceed expectations and become a quad one game? And maybe you pick up one or two victories in non-con there. Because the SEC schedule, 
you know, the SEC is looking like the number two conference in terms of, you know, overall strength this year. They're going to have opportunities in SEC play. It's just a way more of their quad one and quad two games. I'm looking at it right now. They've got 20 quad one and 20 quad two games potentially. 12 of those are away from Columbia. So they just, it's, if they're going to get quality wins, they're going to have to do a lot of that, you know, away from their own building. Or they're going to have to really pick off teams like Arkansas, Bama, Kentucky, LSU, and Columbia. So it's, I get why they did it. You know, I wrote that, you know, what they did isn't all that, you know, wild for a first year program, especially one that was in Missouri situation. But, I thought maybe they might keep one or two games a little bit better in quality just for the fact that if they thought they had a roster that could contend in March, maybe they want to, you know, back, you know, have some quality in there to where the committee is not going to look at them and go, yeah, you guys just had body bag games for the first six weeks of the season. But I get it. There's competing sort of missions there. And I think it's just jarring because, you know, rarely do you see, you know, sub two fifty teams just stacked one on top of the other to start a season. But <laughs> you know, well, at least at Missouri, really, like you know, like that's one of the things. You know, Conzo was always pretty aggressive in his scheduling, and you know, much to maybe his own chagrin, so was Kim Anderson. Um, you know, I think even Mike Anderson caught a little flack for you know stacking up patsies, but. And, you know, their schedule, if you even go back and look at it, wasn't as bad <laughs> as this one is. Um, just, I, just in terms of quality of opponent. But, you know, it's one of those things like, I mean, you look at the, you know, the Kansas game, and I, I expect the atmosphere to be, you know, out of this world. I, you know, I expect Isaiah Mosley to probably be the best player on the court that night. <laughs> but is it going to be enough to, to beat, you know, Kansas? You know, maybe if, it, the NCAA decides that Bill Self needs to be suspended. Um, otherwise, I think you chart that up as loss. Illinois looks really good uh, yeah. this year. Um, you know, another top twenty team. That's a neutral court. So I, I think what you're probably doing is you're looking at a non-conference that's already starting with two very likely losses. Uh, you know, so let's let's see if we can you know get enough. Um, kind of momentum built off smacking around some some patsies and uh and and work out our kinks through those games figure out our rotations and then and then we'll 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 see if we can kind of pull off uh some some tougher wins and and at least be more competitive uh you know not get blown out by by Kansas and Illinois but you know be be competitive and then those even if you have a loss it's a close loss it doesn't hurt your 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 net rankings it doesn't hurt your your BPI, your Kimpom, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, what killed them last uh, year was they think, just got annihilated in rivalry games. Just the Yeah, exactly. Like I mean, uh, if if you if you look at how badly they lost uh in some of those games, like it just it There was no digging out it from it. Sinks your season. <laughs> it, there was no digging out. I and I get like the sort of broader context here too. And I and again, this is why we talk about balancing objectives here because if you think this is a bubble team, you want to maximize your chances in year one to get there. But at the same point in time, if you don't make the NCAA tournament, but you've won 19 games, you get an NIT bid, say you close this 23 cycle really strong in the fall, you've shown you can go into the portal and get a top 10 portal class 
you know, if you make the NCAA tournament this year, that's almost like found money. But if you've signed a good 2023 class, you've done what we talked about earlier, which is get in the door with top flight 24 kids. You put together an NIT season now and you go back into the portal and backfill you know, roster with quality. You know, I think you're on course here. And really, I think what we're talking about is not, you know, we want to see them. The, the days of Norm lining up just murderers row in the mid-90s aren't happening. That's just not the scheduling environment we're in anymore. Those That's just not going to happen, especially now in bigger conferences where you have more conference games swallowing up dates. You're just not going to see coaches line up, you know, six top 100 teams in non-con. But I do think the one thing we sort, we're sort of getting at and beating you know, into a pulp here is were there two or three dates where they maybe could have made some marginal increases in quality to where they could still maybe get some wins, but, but also kind of maybe juice SOS a little bit. But at the end of the day, you know, th- this is what they've chosen to do. So we'll, we'll see how it pans out. Well, so with all that being said, I mean, we do have uh, a couple months. Uh, to actually kind of get into each of these opponents uh, after a, a sort of brief overview <laughs> of, of what the, uh, the you know the game is going to be like, so Matt and I will kind of dive into some uh, non-conference talk in forthcoming pods, uh, as well as you know previewing the SEC conference and all that kind of fun stuff that we always do, as well as uh, some recruiting talk always sprinkled in, uh, like usual. Uh, anything else you want to hit on before we get out of here? Uh, no, I think we've covered it all. Um, and I'm happy that we're now within six or seven weeks of the season starting. It, uh, there's been a lot of talk and a lot of sort of projection and a lot of movement here. I think I said before we came on, I'm just eager to see what the product looks like on the floor here and you know, start talking about what Dennis Gates is actually trying to do schematically and how he's managing his personnel. So we're getting closer. We're getting closer to live, actual uh basketball and that's always a good thing well with all that being said uh, i want to say thank you for tuning in uh if you liked this podcast you should probably make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast feed which you can do at apple Podcasts, google play store uh we're also on spotify if you uh if you do the spotify thing and if you're subscribed you also get episodes before the box score uh, Nate and BK have been going weekly, uh, and they are uh, switching to twice weekly now that we are in full-on football season mode. Um, again, game on Thursday, so so tune in. Um, make sure that you get all those episodes. Uh, those guys know what they're talking about. Uh, you'll also enjoy reading all the content, everything that we're publishing over at rockmation.com. And if you want to follow me and Matt on Twitter, you can follow him at MattJHarris85. I am at Sam T. Snelling. Tweets about dogs and drinks. Uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks, and we'll we'll talk some more non-conference schedule. We'll, we'll, we'll take a look at, at what's coming down the pike. Uh, so until then, thanks for tuning in, and uh, yeah, see you in two weeks. Yeah.